And while they're making their way to the classes, I want to say uh, welcome to you. My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here at Ignite. Really happy that you guys could be with us this morning. Uh, we have a great uh, morning planned as we open God's word and also we get to uh, watch people proclaim their faith and, and go public with their faith in baptism today. I'm really, really excited. Um, it's an incredible time and wonderful time of encouragement uh, for us all to, to just watch people get baptized. It's an amazing thing. Um, one thing I do want to draw your attention to before we begin uh, this morning um, we are in the Gospel of Matthew, and the Gospel of Matthew is broken up into chunks. Um, it's, it's, it's Matthew's eyewitness account of Jesus' life, and so he's writing um, uh, as he sees Jesus uh, do ministry. And uh, Matthew is in, in chunks in chapters 1 through 4. It's kind of a section, and, and now we're in chapters 5 through 7, which is a different section, and that really is called the Sermon on the Mount. Um, we're going to be talking about that, but we have a, a series handout uh, called the Gospel of Matthew. It's an introduction to the Sermon on the Mount and just kind of some themes that you're going to see throughout it. It's an amazing, amazing resource that our team at Ignite has put together. And so if you would like a copy of that, it's available at our welcome table on the way out. Also, it's available in a digital copy online at our website. So I just wanted to make you aware of that. We are, um, yeah, we are in the Sermon uh, in the Gospel of Matthew um, this book, this wonderful uh, book in the Bible where it shares the story of Jesus' life. And last week we started a new section, uh, chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew is um, called the Sermon on the Mount. And it is uh, written, it's called that because Jesus is preaching on a mountain. Isn't it wonderful? I just love that. Sermon on the Mount. What do we call it? it well, he's standing there, so we'll call it that. So um, this, is the, this is the Sermon of the Safari at the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to go uh, with that. But, um, but it, what we see is that Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. And we're going to see in the kingdom of God is that Jesus' kingdom, which is the kingdom of heaven, um, it is an upside-down kingdom is the way that we would look at it. Um, the things of the world um, do not really match up with what the kingdom of heaven is like. And anything that is uh, redeemable and good of any authority or government structure or kingdom in this earth has borrowed from the kingdom of heaven. And so last week we saw how people can be blessed even though that they are... Um, even though that they might be mourning, even though they might be distraught, even though they might be persecuted, there's blessing that comes with that because God is with us even in the middle of those hard times. And so that's what we talked about last week as he um, started this wonderful thing and he brings clarity to a deep truth. And the deep truth and what we're gonna really need to focus on, especially today and in the weeks to come, is we have to remember this. The total life of Jesus totally covers me. The total life of Jesus totally covers me. That's going to be really, really important as we look at things today and over the next few weeks. The total life of Jesus totally covers me. And so we're going to be in the book of Matthew. Surprise, surprise. Uh, chapter 5, starting in verse 17. This is Jesus continuing to speak in his sermon. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes on one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does, these, does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 
Um, the law and the prophets. He says, don't think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets is really a, a, a way to describe the Old Testament. So if you have a Bible, the first two-thirds of your Bible is called the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew Bible. It's everything pointing to Jesus, everything kind of leading towards the culmination of Jesus coming to earth. And so the law and the prophets are, are really what he's talking about is the Old Testament in that. And what I think was really interesting is Jesus just got done talking about how we're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Um, last week, that was like the last sentence. He's like, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You're going to go out. You're going to let your light shine. You're going to go and season the world with the good news of Jesus and the kingdom of heaven. You're going to do all these things. And then the next sentence is, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, which I think is just really interesting. And really got me to thinking about it. And I started to think about like where Jesus is preaching this. And he's, he's preaching this in the northern part of Israel. Okay, so he's up in the region of Galilee, which is on the northern part of it. Um, all of Israel at this time is under Roman control. Okay, so the Roman Empire has expanded and it is literally uh, oppressing the people of Israel as well as some other nations. But they were being oppressed. They wanted to be their own nation. They didn't want to be under Rome. And here they were under Roman control. And the northern part, Galilee, the northern part of Israel, uh, Galilee um, is seen as a not desirable place to live or be from, okay? Uh, people, the, the religious leaders of the day, the, the religious capital of Israel is in the south, in the city of Jerusalem. Galilee is the wrong side of the tracks, right? It is, it is not a place that you want to be from, right? And I got to think, I'm like, you know, if anybody was going to start a revolt, if anybody was going to be um, gonna, going to start a riot, like these people would be prime candidates, right? Because they're, they're under a government structure that they do not like, and they are looked down upon by the religious leaders of the day. These people are disenfranchised politically and religiously, Okay? If anybody was going to just stir up and go start something, it was probably going to be these guys. Their conditions were not good, which makes it great for a riot. These are the conditions. And Jesus says, don't think I'm going to come to abolish the law of the prophets, which I think is amazing because he's saying, don't lose God in the middle of your circumstances. I know you're all excited about being salt and light, and I know you're all excited about this, and I know you want me to overthrow the Roman government, but what I'm telling you this is I'm not here to abolish the law. I'm not here to throw the law away. I'm not here to undo everything that my father has done. I'm not here to do that. He has to remind them, and, and for us as well, you might be in a spot today where you're in dire straits. You might be in a spot today where you do not like the, the authority structure over you, whether it be at work at school, politically, whatever. You might be in a place where you're like, I don't like this. I'm not a fan of this. And you might be in a place where you're looked down upon. Maybe you've been looked over. Maybe you've been passed over. Maybe there's just a lot of things going on in your life right now. But, but I'm here to tell you, don't lose God in the middle of your circumstances. It's so easy for us to say, you know what? This is hard. I prayed. Nothing happened. I'm out. But don't lose God in the middle of the circumstances. Don't throw out God's law and thinking that God's law is bad. I think that's another thing that we like to think about. But the, real, the reality is, is God's law is exceedingly good. Now, it's, it's not great for us a lot of times because what happens is, is we look at the law and we realize where we've broke the law. We look at it and go, oh, I don't measure up there and I don't measure up there and I don't measure up there and I've sinned there. And it breaks us. 
Just the knowledge of the law often will break our hearts, and we don't like to have that feeling, and so we think that the law is bad. But the reality is, is the law is exceedingly good, and we are sinful humanity. And we get broken by these things because God's like, you're not living up to the kingdom. And we go, well, what are we going to do about that? And Jesus says, I, I want to let you know, I'm not, I'm not going to abolish the law. I'm not taking it away. I'm fulfilling it. Every dot and every iota, I'm going, to, I'm going to make sure that, these are like small marks in the Hebrew. It's like crossing your T's and dotting your I's. Like that's where they get like this, this idea is like every little detail down to the lowest bit, Jesus is going to fulfill the law perfectly. Absolutely perfectly, without misunderstanding, without relaxing on the law, without, without trying to sweep some stuff aside. He's going to fill, fulfill the law perfectly. Including this, by the way, the law and the prophets, including is, uh, is the fact that the, there's a sacrificial system that goes along with this. Um, in the book of Leviticus, we see the sacrificial system. You see, the wages of sin is death. When, when, when we sin, something dies. And when we sin, something dies. That's the wage of sin. It, it kills us or it kills people around us and, and it kills things. And so God put in the system, he says, when you break the law and rather than you dying, we're gonna have a sacrificial system in your place. So you have to sacrifice, make sacrifices to pay for what you've done. You have to, you have to make sacrifices to atone for the wrong that you've done. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the sacrificial system. Which is great because when we gather here on Sunday morning, we don't sacrifice things here on Sunday morning for two reasons. Number one, the safari has a policy, okay? It's in the contract. But more than that, and even better than that, is Jesus is the fulfillment of our sacrifice. We don't have to make sacrifices because Jesus is our sacrifice for us. He sacrificed himself for us. So when he says he's the fulfillment of the law, he not only lives it out, but he also provides the sacrifice necessary to cover you and me. That's an amazing truth. When he says, I didn't, I'm not here to like pretend like the law didn't exist. I'm here to fulfill it to its maximum. I'm here to, I'm here to show you that the law will be fulfilled in my life. And then he goes on and says something really bold in verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The scribes and the Pharisees, two different people groups. The scribes are lawyers, students of the law. Um, they copied the law by hand. They knew the law backwards and forwards. They, they knew everything about the law. The Pharisees were a group of people, a um, group of, of men that they were religious leaders, and they, they held sway politically and religiously. Okay, so they, 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 held, they held tremendous amounts of influence and power. Okay, the Roman government allowed them to have a sub-government called the Sanhedrin, of which the Pharisees were a part of. And these guys were like really, really into following the rules. Both of these people really, really into following the rules. 
And so much so that the, the Pharisees, they would, they would try to define God's commands. They would say, okay, God says this, and now let's, let's make a ring of rules around that so we don't break the law, right? They were really, really interested in not breaking the law and doing the right thing. And so they would go, God says that we have to observe the Sabbath. That was the Saturday that they do to do no work. And they're like, what does it mean to do no work? And so they decided to spell it out, what it means to do no work. And these guys, I mean, the NFL Rules Committee has nothing on the Pharisees when it comes to um, trying to explain the law, right? And go, so they go, what does it mean to rest on the Sabbath? Well, one of the things is like, how many steps can you take in a day before it's work? That was the question that they asked. And they came up with a number, 400. Why? I don't know. I wasn't there, right? But 400 steps before Fitbit, before something counting your steps for you, you had to count your steps because if you took 401 steps, oh man, then you're breaking the law and then you're sinning against God. And what they said, but God never said anything about the number of steps. He just said the heart of the law is to have a Sabbath so that you can rest and that you can commune with the Father and that you can pray and that you can take time to reflect and you can realize that it's a great moment of humility that you realize that I'm going to rest. And guess what? The world goes on. It doesn't revolve around you. And he says you're going to take that time to realize that we can't live one minute without God but the world will go on without us, and so it's a moment of humility as well. But they're like, they made it about steps. And then on top of it, what they would do is they would, they would say that uh, they, 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 st- they abandoned the heart of why the Sabbath was there, and they became all about their own man-made rules. It was all about the rules that they made, and if you broke those rules, you were shunned from the community. And so these people were, were exceedingly doing right things and rule-following but it was rules that they had made, and it wasn't about God. And so we talked about righteousness last week, and the idea of uh, biblical righteousness is, number one, doing the right thing, but two, doing it and having right relationship at the same time. To have the right motives, to have the right attitude, to have the right relationship with the Father. That's what, to be righteous is to have peace with God. And so when we're righteous, we're doing right things, but we're also in a state of being in right relationship. Like, have you ever done anything that was the right thing, but with the wrong motive, right? Like, anytime you had to apologize if you're under the age of eight, (laughs) right? Like, you remember that? Like, now say you're sorry. I'm sorry. Was that because you're like, you know what? I've come to this this conclusion that I broke your heart, and I'm brokenhearted over that. I want to reconcile. No, that's not the reason. It's like, I don't want to get grounded. I'm sorry. Don't take away my toys. Can I go play now? Right? That's not the right attitude. That's not being righteous. And what happened was, is, is the Pharisees and the scribes were great about following rules, but their heart was far from God, and their hearts didn't love people. And they weren't gracious and merciful. And yet they would do things. They would tithe. They would, they would take the top 10% of everything they had, including their mint and their dill. Like, when was the last time you tithed your spice rack? Like, that's what these guys were doing. That's amazing. When you think about, like, what they were they're meticulous, and yet their hearts are far from God. And he says, your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes. Otherwise, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, think about this for a second. The, the qualifications of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, is righteousness. A righteousness that is exceedingly pure. So not only do you have to do everything perfectly, 
You have to do it with the right attitude and the right motive, all the while maintaining a perfect union with God the Father, never once turning your back on him. And this moment is a very sobering moment. Because if we're honest with ourselves, none of us have fulfilled God's commands perfectly. And even if we could, which we can't, but even if we could, we have to constantly maintain a right relationship with God, never distancing ourselves from him, never turning our back on him, and never once doing it with a bad motive, with completely pure motives. If that is the case, then who can enter the kingdom of heaven? Nobody. There is no possible way for you to enter the kingdom of heaven on your own merit. Zero. You can't do it. And neither can I. And so we're left with this moment, right? Unless there's something more. Unless there's something else that we missed along the way, unless there's something we need to be reminded of in this, and that is Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the law. I've come to fulfill the law. His total life, the total life of Jesus, totally covers me, right? The total life of Jesus totally covers me. If, if we understand that Jesus lived the life that you and I could not live, and Jesus died the death that you and I should die, but then Jesus raises from the dead to show that he has paid for the sins of humanity in full and yet lives. If the wages of sin is death, Jesus died, but it didn't end there. He rose from the dead. He's paid for all sin in full. And that's great news for us. And as we look at the, as we look at the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, as we continue on and next week and other weeks after that, we're going to see that there are things that Jesus is going to say about the kingdom of heaven that are going to rock us to our core. There are things that are going to smack us in the face. There are things that are unbelievably going to be challenging to us. And I want us to look in deep into the law of God. But while we're looking, don't ever take your eyes off of Jesus. Because if it was all about us maintaining and keeping the rules, we would never get there. But the point of the law was to point us to Jesus, to say, yes, you can't, but Jesus does. And Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, coupled with his completely sinless life, is enough to cover you and me. That without Jesus, there is no hope. But with Jesus, hope abounds. We will never be in need of hope in Jesus. And by putting our trust in him and walking with him, he gives us his righteousness. He clothes us in his righteousness. He gives it freely to us, something that he earned, something that he's done for us, and he gives it freely to us. Why? Because he loves us. He loves us so much that he would credit his righteous deeds and his sacrifice for us on our behalf and give us right standing with the Father because of what he's done on our behalf. What an amazing God. 
that Jesus totally rescues us, that the total life of Jesus can totally cover me and can totally cover you. And to receive this beautiful, wonderful gift that Jesus has given us. It's about opening our hearts to him. It's about opening our minds to him. It's about submitting our lives to him. It's about saying, Jesus, I need a savior. Not just, I need help, right? Oh, I kind of got stuck a little bit. Can you give me a hand? No, that's not. We are so buried deep in our sin that we need someone to rescue us, to come and lift the weight of the mire out of our lives and to pull us out and to set our feet upon the rock. We need a rescuer. We need a savior. And that's what Jesus has done for us. Each and every one of us. In a moment, um, we're going to have people come down and they're going to share their stories of rescue. Um, they've made a decision to follow Jesus. And part of the decision to follow Jesus is walking out the obedience. He says, now go get baptized. And so we're going to baptize people. And what you're going to see is, is really on display something that happened in their life. It's an outward expression of what happened internally in a reality is that when you give your life to Jesus, all your old junk dies. It just dies. It gets buried. And so when we baptize people, we put them under the water. It's symbolic of going into the grave. You're just dead. Your old stuff is just gone and buried. And when you rise up out of the water, it's being raised to life. It's being raised to life to realize that when I gave my life to Jesus, the old Steve was gone and I was raised to be a new creation. I was something different than I was before. And that's what Jesus does for us. He transforms that. It's miraculous and it's amazing. And when people come out of the water, when people repent in the scriptures, it says that there's more rejoicing in heaven over a sinner than repents than, than the 99, right? And so it's like, when they come out of the water, we get to participate in the reality of what happened in heaven was there was much rejoicing. And so we want to encourage the people who are being baptized today by cheering loudly and rejoicing with them and clapping because we get to participate and go, I just want you to think of like, when this person gave their life to Jesus, this is kind of what happened. We get to be like a faint expression of the reality. And so just remember that as we hear people's stories of rescue and as we hear and as we see this on display and then we get to participate in what was happening the day someone was rescued when they realized I cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. I need a savior and Jesus gladly did and he will gladly do that for you. Just open your heart to him today. Let's pray.